Hi, I'm Glenn. And I'm Jim. And welcome to the Backstage Show. This week on The Backstage Show, we're continuing our discussion of auditions and casting, but we're switching perspectives. Yeah, in case you haven't heard enough about auditions the last couple weeks already, we're going to be flipping it from the side of what would a director be looking into as far as planning auditions, what they're looking for in the auditions, uh, and so forth. What is their vision for the play? How do they see the different characters fitting into that and fitting into with one another as far as chemistry goes and all that kind of stuff? That pretty much covered it all. All right. That, all right, that well, takes care of the next two episodes. <laughs> uh, now, well, we're going to get into a little more detail about things and uh, what you might do to prepare as a director or what we've done to prepare as directors. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> hey, I've, I've worked with directors that I know for a fact have not prepared and have not even read the entire script before audition. So it does happen. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I don't want to get into the, the details on that. But yeah, I, I, I have known of directors that have done that. Uh, they don't direct very often, and I'm not sure they still direct, but yeah, they have not even read the script ahead of time. Would this have been a situation where, you know, it was kind of that they were asked to direct something at the last minute that they weren't necessarily planning to? Or Nope. No? <laughs> no, that was not it. They, okay. they actually requested to be a director on the show. So. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I can safely say I think I've done more to prepare than those particular individual see there typically. you go no matter how little you might think you do at least you read the script <laughs> well that's a good place to start reading the script yeah that's definitely a good place to start <laughs> because you know you want to read the script you want to be familiar with the play you want to have a vision for the play you want to start thinking about how the characters are going to act and how that works you got to have a vision for the characters basically well yeah and depending on the show your personal vision as a director could have more flexibility yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've even gone in as a director, having viewed a character in a certain way and changing my mind at the auditions. I, I had one character uh, that comes to mind uh, was in the second show I directed, uh, Picasso de la Panagile. There's a character that I had viewed a certain way and there was a woman who wanted to audition for that character and it was a male character. I said, yeah, I mean, go ahead and audition. And, and it changed my mind. It actually added another layer to things, mm -hmm. which granted... This is one of those situations where your publishing house does not want you to do that change, but it worked and we're a small theater and it was under the radar. So I'm not going to mention the theater or the show, but yeah. I that, think you already did mention the show. I'm not going to mention the theater then. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I did mention the show. <laughs> <laughs> so much for that thought. Well, uh, uh, but yeah, I'm, I mean, look, smaller theaters are most likely for changes that small going to go under the radar. It's not like I rewrote the script. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, or you might have changed a he to a she. Yeah. That's and that about it. Was it. Yeah. It, that's a perfect example of having a general direction you want to go in with the characters, but don't be too rigid about it. Be open to different possibilities that you may not have anticipated or expected. I think that's a good rule in, as a director in general, mm -hmm. a good rule for directing. Yeah. You don't know who's actually going to show up, what they're going to give you, and... You might find something you never would have thought of before that you think when you see it, you realize that'd be great. Yeah. Be... Flexibility as a director is very important. Yeah. I mean, but... you have to have a vision. You have to know what the vision of the writer and the script are, but right. you have to be willing to 
change things to suit an actor that might have surprised you and might be take the role in a different direction that is going to work as well, if not better than what your vision or the script's vision is even. Right, but you should also have a clear enough picture to be able to convey what it is you're looking for to the actors who are auditioning. Yeah. I mean, when I've directed, I usually try to have a character description yeah. list available. Uh, that is something that, that you will often see is uh, sometimes it's in the script and they give you the information in there. Other times they don't give you an age range. They don't give you any specifics about the character because from a writing standpoint, from a script standpoint, it doesn't necessarily matter if this right. is a six foot tall, 45 year old male with a limp. <laughs> or I mean, wow, that's really specific. Well, I mean, you might want to get that specific because it, it, it might matter. It might work really well for your vision to you're have limping on the specific. wrong leg. We're not casting. You. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah flexibility, Jim. Flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> it does vary, though. I mean, it, it may there may be a plot point surrounding something that were say that specific. Yeah. But. Well, here here's an example. The first show I directed, uh, there were two characters that were described pretty explicitly in the script that I had to change on. One of them was an Asian character named Nam Jun Vuong, I believe was the, the, the name of the character. Uh, and the other one was a one-armed African-American man. So it really isn't easy sometimes, particularly in community theater. We're, we're in the Philadelphia area, but we're not in the city. You don't always get at auditions what you're going to want. I had no African-Americans audition for me. I had no Asians audition for me. I had to cast a two-armed white man <laughs> in the one role and I had to cast a, well, actually a British woman in the other role. I don't know. I think that shows a lack of commitment on that man's part for not, you know, volunteering for amputation. I did ask, but <laughs> he was not willing. <laughs> one of his legs is shorter than the other, which, which really has nothing to do with anything, but, but there's your, there's your limp <laughs> and it all comes full circle. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, this is something that's a case where the script had a particular vision and I can understand why they did that. But I had to be flexible because what the script called for was not available. Right. So the the British woman that I cast, I had her in Asian garb to kind of carry that over. Mm -hmm. uh, the one-armed African-American, yes, I had to cast a, a white guy, but, you know. So, yeah, I try to carry over as much as I could with that vision, but it's just not possible sometimes. Flexibility is important. Yeah, you, you don't know who you're going to, who you're going to have show up at your audition. Yeah, and, and depending on where you are in the country, uh, the, the diversity varies from area yeah, to area, right. I guess, is the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. But uh, as far as going back to the vision aspect of it, you still, I think, to the extent that it's important within the structure of the play, you have to convey a broad sense of what the function of that character needs to be and how they need to what their demeanor has to be to serve the purpose of the play, to serve the script. Absolutely. I mean, there's and, a certain amount of flexibility, but there's a core there. Yeah. If you're looking for, you know, somebody who's essentially, we'll call him the straight man. I'm not trying to be literal about that, but. He could be crooked. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> essentially, somebody who serves the function in the play of trying to be the voice of reason, trying to put make sense of everything else that's going on The comedic them. foil. Uh, yeah, so to speak, versus, um, you know, and, and what their personality is, what their demeanor is going to be. Right. Conveying as much of that as possible. And this is what I like to do with the character description is convey what I'm looking for. But then if this person has a nervous breakdown at the end, you know, maybe mention that, that mm -hmm. this is where they're going to have to go. Well, that's actually, yeah. I mean, that's a really good consideration that I, I was not thinking of is, you know, you might have 
90% of the script or maybe a little less than that where a character is acting a certain way and then all of a sudden they snap and, and take a take a left turn and mm-hmm. are completely different and you need to make sure that your actor can handle whatever that character's throwing at them. Right. I typically, when I write character descriptions, to the extent that a demographic and age range comes into play, I mm-hmm. will note that. If it isn't a specific age range that's required, then I'll make it pretty broad. Yeah, yeah, I do the same thing. And I usually put like playable age or something like that. I've had, yeah. I've gone to auditions as an actor where people ask what your age is. I never ask that no, on, on my audition forms. I always put, if I put anything, I will put playable age. Yeah, uh, when I, I think I've just generally put blanket statements to say the ages listed are the intended age of the character, not necessarily the age of the actors that we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that does make a difference, and you have to look as a director going, well, does this person convey the approximate age that I want the character to be? Right, and that can be important because what we've talked about before, if there are, say, familial relationships, Mm -hmm. yeah, romantic pairings, romantic pairings, and that can be a factor, but it's more in terms of what the person can believably play versus what their actual age is. Yes. Uh, Certainly. So I, I just try to... When I write character descriptions, I just try to convey what I think are all the important traits of who I'm looking for mm-hmm. for each of those roles. Or if it could be either gender, I'll say that. Yeah. If I think that that's doable. Now, have you ever had a circumstance where you're holding an audition and you have two characters in the play that are so similar that you don't really know how to differentiate them? So two two different characters in the same play. Yes. Not that I can really remember. It's See, not coming I, out. I've had that. I've had that, or I've had a circumstance particularly. What's coming to mind right now is Dracula, where um, Mina and Lucy are very similar characters, particularly at the beginning. They kind of branch off from each other. And I think now that was one of the one of the first like three or four shows I directed. I think it might have been the third. I think it might have been the third show I directed. At the time, I, I did not know how to differentiate them. So I think I might have not even had a character description list for that. Hmm. And I know going in, I had some gut feeling with, where, oh, this person's more suited for Mina. This one would be more suited for Lucy. But it, it's difficult sometimes as a director to put into words. Yeah how you're feeling about these character descriptions. And I don't know how you feel about that. I, I mean, I think I've gotten to a point now where I can do that, but it can be challenging. Yeah, that's, I think, where the extent of just really, as much as you can, just fleshing out the vision of the characters. Yeah, that it's helps particularly like character roles, little minor roles, that's especially difficult. Yeah, and for. in some cases, you know, maybe it's not as critical. Maybe mm-hmm. if it's, uh, I don't know, like a, uh, just throwing this out, like a butler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, basically their function is to probably to just do certain, <laughs> probably just do. Yeah. And I think you do might do certain get... functions or actions in the play and their character is a little bit less critical. So that might be a case where you're a little bit more open to interpretations. Yeah. And it might just be like listed, you know, Butler 45 to 65. Jim's Butler might be the whole description of the character. That might be sufficient. Yeah. And what somebody brings to the table with that, what they try, like certain personality quirks or traits you could be more open-minded about it mm-hmm. to see if you think it would work into the tone of you still have to i think put it in the context of what's the tone that you're shooting for yeah and i think a lot with those smaller roles it might come down to how well they fit the puzzle rather yeah. than matching your description going does this person look right with the rest of the cast 
Right, but in that role, they may bring kind of some curious personality traits that aren't quite as uh, substantially consequential to the overall play. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily matter if they're putting one take on it versus Maybe. yeah, yeah, I can see that. So once you get your your you've got a general vision for the script, you get your general vision for the characters, you can translate it to character description. Then it comes down to the nitty gritty of preparing the auditions themselves and deciding. Uh, as we've talked about before, do you want cold reads? Do you want prepared sides? Do you want monologues? And you have to decide what works best for you. I, I think I enter things from the standpoint of I'm going to do cold reads and then I try to decide if that's going to work. Is, is that your experience? Yeah, that's really the only approach I've used. But instead of just using copies of the script and having people read directly out of that, I find that that probably can be difficult yeah and there's a couple reasons why i've moved away from that and wanted to type up my own sides mm-hmm. um the first reason is one i can put it on more legible print yeah so it's a little bit Oof, more little user larger. friendly <laughs> uh and the other thing this is what i've also done too more recently is i've actually edited them edited a scene yep in that you know maybe maybe there's like one minor character who had one line in the midst of this two-page scene that's mainly between two or three other people so take that out yeah or, so you don't have to get another actor just to read the one yeah line. or sometimes it's you know maybe there are kind of several back and forth throwaway lines that are really completely pointless as far as what you're looking yeah, for and they're scene. not gonna so, they're not gonna teach you anything no you're not gonna get anything out of that to have people right read them. i try and yeah i've done the same thing. i try and distill the scene when i type it up over again i try and distill the scene to the critical bullet points absolutely of, i mean i've done that sort of thing i've even like taken some characters lines and given them to another character just so we don't have to have somebody come in and read yeah, like one right. line yeah I, I agree with you i think typing them out is definitely the way to go i've been doing that for a while that's my preference and you know we've we alluded to this in an earlier episode about, well, you really can't reproduce that, distribute that to people ahead of time right? for copyright reasons, for one thing. And I guess the way in which you do it, that could give some people an advantage over other people. If also it's not true. really a cold read then. But if you have somebody approach you and ask you, hey, I'm thinking of auditioning for the show. Can you let me know what scenes you might be reading? Would you tell them ahead of time? That's an excellent question. Um, I never have. Mm-hmm. Uh, has anybody approached you, though? I think somebody has approached me about getting copies of the scenes to look at ahead of time. Yep. But but that had more to do with, I alluded to this earlier as well, as far as difficulty reading. Right. Yeah, that's different. I mean... That's kind of tough. It you is know, kind I, of tough. It's kind of it's a judgment call in that case. Here's my problem with a cold read, like just fundamentally... You're expecting somebody to just kind of do something that they're they haven't really rehearsed, mm-hmm. and that's not what you're going to get in the final performance. Yeah, there are some people that are just really good at cold reads that aren't necessarily, you know, they might be giving you their top level, and they're never going to get any better exactly. than they are at that yeah, cold read. Yeah, that's a read. very good point. And or then there's other people the that, opposite way. Yeah, they give a bad cold I, read. Yeah, I, I can't do this off the top of my head right now and mm-hmm. put this together and really think it through, but if I had a little bit of time to work with this, I could really nail it. Yeah, I think that's why as a director, I've kind of leaned, I, I still prefer a cold read, but I'll lean towards the, what, what I was referring to in an earlier episode is the cool or the lukewarm <laughs> read, where I'll go, okay, here's the here's a couple of sides that we're going to read, take these, look them over, and when you're ready to go, let me know. 
Okay. And that gives them a chance to kind of prepare a little bit, but at the same time, they're not like they don't have weeks ahead of time where they might even have it memorized. Yeah, yeah, I'm not looking for that. And I, when people come in and fill out the audition sheets, I always, I always have the the sides laid out usually mm-hmm. at the front of the stage, and and I say to them, okay, once you turn in an audition sheet, you can feel free to take a look at some of these scenes before mm-hmm. we start. Yeah, I usually uh, hand them out at the same time because I, I feel like if you just give them to them to pick up, if somebody comes 10 minutes early, they might have like 30 minutes to look over a scene, whereas if somebody comes in a little late, they might only have like three minutes to look it over. Well, yeah. Which is, you know, usually advantage audition, coming early. Yeah, there is an advantage coming early, and usually the audition doesn't necessarily start exactly on time yeah. anyway, so you might usually? still have a little... <laughs> Yeah. I don't think it ever starts on time. There's always people <laughs> wandering in a little late. Yeah. It it goes with the territory, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I would not necessarily be keen on just, okay, you don't get to see this at all until I call you up. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough to just hand it to them as they're going up. I think I, the, the middle ground, that, I but... think, has been when you show up, they give you things to look at yeah. before they actually call you up. The lukewarm read or, yeah. the, or the cool read. I don't know. <laughs> it's, there's, there's probably no perfect way, but that's probably the best compromise. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you from, from a directing standpoint. I mean, I guess from an acting standpoint, I probably agree with the agree with that as well. I think I, that's my preference mm-hmm. because I feel like if I, if I have too much time to prepare as an actor, I'm just going to get more worried about it. Yeah, and I think for the reasons that we've talked about as far as the actor reading the script ahead of time, they should probably already have an idea of what they're getting uh, into yeah, a certain familiarity at so least. what you're throwing at them shouldn't completely take them by surprise mm-hmm. what about uh, monologues have you ever done anything like I've that i've never requested monologues so i haven't requested a prepared monologue per se when i directed true west i had a monologue prepared for anybody that was auditioning for austin or lee the two lead roles and it's practically a two-person show with a couple of scenes with a couple of other actors yep. So I'm all familiar with it. Yeah, I know you are. You directed that as well. So, um, but even for that show, I don't think I requested a monologue unless I had that specifically in one of the cuttings. Well, the I had, I, I had one pieced together. I had, I believe it's the scene where Austin and Lee are talking about their, the, the father. I, I forget which characters it was. I think it's, it's Austin, the one that's, that's telling the story about his father when he lost his false teeth. Yes. Okay. So I pieced the that together. Man. Yeah, the old man. I pieced that together. I took out Lee's line. So it was a super long monologue, like at least a full page. I gave that. I said, anybody who's interested in auditioning for Austin and Lee, I will give you this at the beginning of the audition. When everything else is done, everybody who's not auditioning for those roles can leave. And I want each one of you to deliver that monologue. So that was a little warmer than the other cold reads. So I didn't have them prepared ahead of time, but I wanted to give them plenty of time to look it over. And I basically was looking for somebody that could engage me through that entire story. Okay. Because there's a lot of like, these characters really need to be engaging. They really need to right. pull the audience in. Now, have you, uh, I alluded to this having been in a prior audition where I mentioned I was looking for a specific role and I didn't actually get to read for that role, mm-hmm. even though I ultimately got that role ultimately, uh, eventually. But as a director, if you pick certain scenes for people to read and maybe... Maybe it's for a, a character other than what the person wants to read for. Um, would you have them do that just to see kind of what they can do, even if you're not considering them for that role? Absolutely. I mean, I tell people at the beginning of auditions, I, I, I say that I may not have you come up to read for the role that you want, but that doesn't mean that I'm calling you for roles I'm even considering you for. I am considering you for what you want to be considered for. Right. But, you know, given the numbers... Sometimes you can't have people keep reading for the same role. Sometimes it's difficult to have them read for the role they want just because 
well, you need to fill things out. I had the Frankenstein auditions, the guy that was eventually cast as uh, Frankenstein's creature. I had him reading for a little boy because we had no yeah, little boys there. Right. You just need somebody yeah, to read Yeah, I just it. needed a body and, yeah. and that was it. Right. I mean, you're here, so you're going to read for that. And I, and I mean, he had fun with it. I, that, that I'm probably not going to get much out of, but well, if I had him reading for another major role, you can still get a sense of their acting ability out of it. Yeah, I think it does serve another purpose in that you can kind of see other things they can do. You know, maybe that if you haven't worked with the person, maybe that kind of gives you a sense of their range or... Yeah, I mean, I guess in this case, having him read for... I don't remember how old the boy was supposed to be, like eight or something like that. He had a lot of fun with it and he had a good attitude about it. He was a little older than eight. Yeah. (laughs) He's about our age. Um, So I got the sense that, oh, this is an easygoing guy. He, he like take, he took it in stride. Mm-hmm. He, he enjoyed it. And I'm so, like, this guy could be fun to work with. And that's, exactly. that's, that's can, a factor. You can learn things. Yeah. You can learn things about the person mm-hmm. that aren't directly related to their specific performance of a specific role. Yeah. I mean, it might even not, it might not even relate to their acting ability, but you're going to be working closely with these mm-hmm. people for a lot of time. And you're probably going to be hanging out and going out for a drink after shows or whatever. You want somebody that's going to be fun to work with. Yeah. It's a fact. Not a, uh, <laughs> not a potential problem case. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, and you do run into those. A bit. Yeah. I always make it a point at auditions that I've run to make sure that, you know, I say this up front to make sure to let everybody know everybody's going to get a chance to read. We mm-hmm. may not get to you right away because usually we're setting up so that we'll do one scene over and over again with different groupings of people and then we'll move on to another scene and then another scene. So yep. maybe you don't get caught up right away, but you will get caught up. Yeah, I've had certain circumstances as an actor where you're waiting for a really long time to read and you're starting to question things and then eventually you get up. I've had circumstances where like I, I see people going up to read like eight, nine, ten times and I get called up twice and I figure, well, I guess they just weren't interested and then they cast me. So right. you just don't know. Sometimes as you know, directors get a sense very quickly that, oh, this person's perfect for this role, so why waste their time having them come up and read repeatedly when you already know, hey, this person is, it's their role to lose at this point, but I need to cast these other roles, so let me get these other actors up there, even if it's in the role that that guy wanted. Right, and I I think I kind of unofficially make it a point that everybody gets at least two chances to read at a minimum. I don't know how you do things, but let me go through my general process when I prepare for an audition. I actually have paperwork set up where I have uh, two charts. I've used your method. Okay, yeah. So I have- <laughs> I, I got have, it from you. I learned it from you. I have uh, uh, down down the left side in the left-hand column, I have all of the actors who are auditioning yep. uh, as they come in. Uh, across the top, I have all of the characters. Yep. So I have a highlighter with me. I have where the actor and the character they want line up. I highlight that box so I know what they're interested in. And then as I have them read- I put a little tick mark in each one of these things so I can see, make sure that they're reading for the character they want, make sure, see how many times they're reading overall. And then in another chart, I have the characters listed paired up in the scene. So I basically have, uh, here's what it is. It's each scene in the left-hand column and then across the top, the actors who are in that scene. And then I go through, yeah, the pairings. Yeah, the groupings. And then uh, there's like, you know, three or four iterations of that in each chunk. So it's like scene one and then I have, you know, first read, second read, third read, and then the characters across the top, and then I write the names in that so I can try to get a little bit ahead of myself and put in the actors who are reading. So that's two different charts, and that yeah. helps me and helps me be organized so I'm sure I have people reading for the scenes that I have, and then it also helps me ensure that everybody's getting a chance. And I pretty much stole all of that from you. You know, <laughs> Except the highlighter. I don't yeah. use a highlighter. <laughs> there you go. 
Sometimes I forgot. I put my own little spin on it. No. Yeah. No, I use the same approach for pretty much exactly the same reasons. Yeah. I mean, as a director, you really, you know, it might seem as an, as an actor that directors are very disorganized and don't really care whether or not you get a chance. But I think most directors really want to give everybody a chance. Yeah, they I, they, I they want everybody to have the same opportunity. I certainly feel that way. Of course, it's hard to be that organized on the fly. So that's where you usually rely on the assistant director or the producer yeah. or anybody else is there to help. I rely on the, the matrices. <laughs> See, I rely on those charts. I'm usually the one that's filling them out personally, but yeah, usually I've relied on them to kind of pitch. Okay. Who should the next pairing be? And then one after that and one after that. Yeah. So when you're casting as a director, do you, that's the next episode, Glenn. It is the next episode. Yeah. Preparation director's perspective. Casting process. Ah, well, <laughs> Since I already mentioned it, do you usually, just to answer this one question, do you usually do this yourself or do you get other opinions? I've generally gotten other opinions. Okay. We're going to generally discuss most of that next week. And if there's other topics you'd like us to cover in the future, you can give us an email at podcast at backstage. Dot link. Hey, he I remembered it. it. <laughs> and you can also visit our website at backstage.link. Or if you'd really like to, you can visit it at www.backstage.link. But that's really the same thing. It's a lot of letters. Yeah, you really don't need the W's, at least not in our case. And if you type them in, they're going to get removed. So does that pretty much cover everything as far as preparation goes from a director's perspective? I think so. Well, I guess just having figuring out what's what's the format of the audition going to be, too. Yep. As opposed, like, if you're going to have everybody sitting in the same space or you're going to call people in individually, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I've done I've, it both ways. I've always done it where it's open, like everybody who's auditioning sees what everybody else is doing. Thinking about it now, I think there are probably issues with that approach. But yeah, I, I to me, I, be, I, I if felt... I were to do this, if I were to direct another show in the future, I would maybe consider trying something different where it's you're called in when you're needed and you don't necessarily watch everybody else's auditions. As a director, when I've had everybody in the same room, I feel like once somebody reads a role, everybody else kind of tries to match that performance. If I call people up individually, it's a, it's unique because they don't know how this is going to be performed except from their standpoint. Right. However, what has happened to me a lot is my intention is to have everybody like down in a basement or off in another room and call them up individually. But if attendance is low, that's a very difficult thing to do because you're going to have some people that are going to read pretty much every time. Mm -hmm. Like if you've got six roles and eight people, it's a little awkward to send everybody out between each reading. If you've got four roles and 20 people, it's a lot easier to do that. Yeah, and it could depend on whether certain people are reading from multiple roles and they're already yeah. watching other people do another role. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can't them, do it perfectly. No. And there's also, I mean, the physical theater or wherever you're holding your auditions might play into that as well. There might not be another room to send everybody to. That's true. Yeah. I've never tried it, but it's yeah, I, I have to done consider. It. I have done it, but I, I think it's worked better for me with the smaller shows because the larger shows, I just, just the numbers don't work out too well for it. Mm -hmm. That's what it came down to. Uh, another thing is to consider is how many rounds of auditions, how many separate auditions you're going to have. It's... Mm -hmm. Usually typical to have, say, more than one of whatever, if you only have one round of auditions or the first round of auditions, if you end up having a callback later. Yeah, my my personal perspective on that is uh, the last few shows I've done have been at uh, the Barley Sheaf Players. And as a director, they give you three dates, I believe. They give you two audition dates and they give you a callback date. Okay. 
I have never used callbacks as a director. Never. Uh, I've directed 10 shows. And to me, for whatever reason, it tends to stick in my head easily. I can totally understand why you'd want to do that. And with pairings and things like that. That's what um, I've used. I think I've used it twice. One yeah. for I Hate Hamlet, which was for romantic pairing reasons. Mm-hmm. And again, for True West, because of the two brothers. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I can see that. But for some reason, I, I generally have the ability to picture how people work together in my head. And I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I think casting generally, I've been pretty good at. I don't think I've been 100%. I've made some mistakes. Mm. As I'm sure I have. Yeah, too. I mean, I, you know, it, it, there are going to be mistakes made. We're not getting paid to do this. We're not professionals. We're learning as we go. And one thing I think I've learned or gained an appreciation where we did talk about this before is, you know, we mentioned about how as an actor, if you're given direction, don't take it the wrong way. Yeah. I think from the director's standpoint, trying to give somebody direction that maybe you haven't worked with before is a very good idea because it gives you, it gives you a better sense of, all right, is this all you're going to get out of the person? Yeah. Can you work with them? Can you get them to try different things? I think several times when I've done that, I, as I've had a character, or excuse me, I've had an actor read in several different scenes, possibly even as different characters, and I've gotten essentially the same performance from them each time. So I'm like, let me just throw something else at them and see if they can do anything different. And I've I've even told actors, like, this is not how I see this character performing. This is not how I see this character acting. But try it this way. I just want to see what you do with it. Right. And I mean, I, I think some people auditioning for me probably just think I'm screwing with them. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe to some extent I am. But I just, I like to see different things. I mean, I like to see things that I'm not going to see during performances or during auditions, or excuse me, during rehearsals. So I want to see them at auditions, just see what they, see how it works. Yeah, I think it's a very or good idea. Or just do idea. it for fun. I think it's a very good idea. And yeah. were I to direct again in the future, I would probably consider making making more of an effort to give direction explicitly do that again, not necessarily just to try to get somebody to do something more along the lines of what I'm looking for, but just to see what they can do with it. I think you'll learn something from it, whether it's, you know, can they take direction? Can they have fun with this? Can they take counterintuitive direction? I mean, that's something that, you know, yeah, try it with a limp, see if it works (laughs) because I mean, come back to that limp. (laughs) It's a, it's, you know, it's running joke. Um, it just gives you a good idea to see how well they're going to trust you, you know? Yeah, I think it will. I think it just gives you kind of a heads up as to what it would be like to work with a particular person. Absolutely. Especially if you don't haven't worked with them before, it's very important. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think we'll get into that a little bit more with casting because there are certain considerations when you're working with new people or thinking about working with new people that you just simply cannot get from an audition Mm -hmm. but you need to know them before you cast yeah so tune in next week probably can have share some little bit of some stories i think we can yeah (laughs) so if you'll tune in next week you can hear those stories and much much more as we continue our discussion on auditions and casting conclude our discussion from the director's perspective i'm gonna have to wait a whole week for this well no you won't but they will i won't but they will okay fair enough so tune in next monday until then he's glenn And I'm Glenn? No, he's Jim. (laughs) Right, all right. See you next time. What show is this? (laughs) Whose line is it? Whose line is it? The uh, director's perspective from auditions. One of them was an Asian character named Nam... 
Easy for you to say. And it, clearly it's not. That vision could be more flexible than another's. More than another's. More early. That's harsh. Sorry. <laughs>